I am sending you to open the eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for the truth that we just sang that has already been spoken and prayed over these people, Father, that you are an awesome, awe-inspiring God. And it is our privilege as your people to behold your beauty and receive the gift of salvation by believing in your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that we have a grand, glorious story to tell. A story of love and redemption. A story of grace and salvation. A story of a Father who loves us despite us. Who sent His Son to die for us, who sent His Spirit to live in us, and who will return again to make us victorious. Until that time comes, may we live in the victory that is already ours. May we live in the freedom that is found in the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. May we live not feeling like we have to do, but recognizing that it has already been done. And may that compel us to share that good news with a dark world that needs to hear it. May that be the end of today even, that we would walk out of here just excited to tell our part of your story. I pray this in the powerful, mighty, spirit-filled name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat. So at almost the end of this book we're starting today in the book of Acts, Paul gets addressed this way. It says, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So this, just like in our, in our series in John, we sort of had the stuff at the end of um, the, the Gospel of John, the, those verses 20, 21, and 20, 31 sort of painted the picture for the whole book, the whole Gospel. This passage paints the picture for what the book of Acts is about. It's a book of sending. And if you need a Bible, you're going to want to have one today. We're going to be in it a lot. Just raise your hand and somebody will put a Bible in it. But that ultimately the book of Acts is about being sent to open blind eyes. But here's our reality, and we know this because the same guy who, who gets this message sent to him by God at the end of the book of Acts wrote this in that same period of time. In 2 Corinthians he says, For the God of this world has darkened the mind of the unbeliever that they might not behold the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the reality is that, there's, that Satan is real, that darkness is everywhere, and that outside of the Spirit of the living God opening the eyes of God's people, they will not see the light. And that's why he sends us. So I'm excited for this four-week study that we're going to be in through the first four chapters of the book of Acts. We're calling it 
um, ready, sent, go. But before we jump into the book of Acts, I just wonder where, where we left our, uh, the apostles. When we, last time we left them, which was last week in the, at the end of the Gospel of John, if you remember what happened during the resurrection season, we talked about they were in Jerusalem, they see Jesus get, get crucified, then um, he appears on, on Resurrection Sunday, he appears to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, apparently some other women are there as well, they're the first people he appears to. At some point during that same day, that Sunday that he rose, he appears to two of the disciples walking to the, on the road to Emmaus. That night, Sunday, Easter Sunday, he appears in the upper room to most of the disciples, except Thomas is not there. So eight days later, he appears to Thomas. At that point, the angels say, go up to Galilee. So they go up to Galilee, 70 miles away, and last week we saw how they were, went back to their old lives of fishing, and, and he appears to them on the shore, and at that point, apparently he sends them back to Jerusalem. So sometime in all that 40 days from the time that he rose from the dead before he ascends, which is what, where the book of Acts starts, all of that activity that we looked at over the last couple of weeks happened. Now Acts is a book that was written by the um, same gentleman who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul during his journeys. He was a physician, a historian. He wrote his Gospel, the Gospel of Luke. He wrote around 62 A.D., he writes the book of Acts a couple years later to kind of keep telling the story of what happened after the ascension. All of this happens in a period of about, all of the book of Acts happens in a, of a period about 30 years from about 33 A.D. from the time Jesus rose again to about 63 A.D. where Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, which we're not going to get there now, but at the end of the book of Acts, Paul finds himself in prison ready to, to on before Caesar knowing that his execution is imminent, but it kind of leaves you hanging because you don't know, really know, it doesn't, Luke does not record the execution of Paul. But a lot happens in that 30-year span of time. The church goes from 11 scared men to a worldwide religion, and the reason we're standing here, or we're sitting here today as Christians, is because of what we're about to read today. The, the, in the timeline of the Bible, or in the story of the Bible, it's not like the Gospels happen, okay, that was great, and Jesus was here, and now Acts is sort of this, a, a new story. Acts is just a continuation of the story. If you remember last week I talked about um, how the Word of God tells us how to, right? That the Gospel gives us the power to, and that grace gives us the get to. Acts is evidence of what the Gospel does, and so we're going to get to see that. Acts is, is God sifting out, basically, here's what the church is individually. Here's what a Christian looks like. And here's what it looks like corporate, corporately. The, books, the book of Acts is a very practical book. That just simply put, it is, a, it is here is what the gospel does in an individual life and around the world. It's, it is interesting in the story of the Bible that in the Old Testament... You have this, you have, the Old Testament focuses, although it's all one story, the Old Testament focuses on the presence of God as God the Father. And Jesus is pictured throughout the Old Testament. In the Seder, we saw that. How the Seder meal, which is an Old Testament tradition, was just a picture of what Jesus was. Then you have the gospel period of time. The 33 years that Jesus walked among us, or the 30 years that he was alive, and, and you have this picture, and this is sort of God the Son, and Jesus is present among us. Now you turn the page, and in Acts, what you have is God the Holy Spirit, 
And Jesus shows up powerfully and is magnified throughout this book. So it's, it's all about Jesus, Old Testament, in the Gospels, obviously, and in Acts and the rest of the New Testament. But it, it pictures Jesus differently. And it, and it gives us a different view of the triune Godhead. God the Father, Old Testament. God the Son, the Gospels. God the Spirit in, um, in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. That means it's really important for us today, and throughout these four weeks in particular, to really understand what does the Holy Spirit do? Like, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? There are some books that I'd like to recommend. If you don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit, here are three books that are all easy reads. These are not deep theology books. One is called Secret Power by D.L. Moody. It was written over oh, hundred and something years ago. D.L. Moody was an evangelist that lived in Chicago. Um, it's an excellent little book. You can get it for like three or four bucks on Amazon, I think, nowadays. Um, another book that, that is a good book, far more recent, is Francis Chan's book called Forgotten God. And it's about God. It's about the part of the triune Godhead, God the Holy Spirit, that we tend to not talk a lot about in our circle because we're not Pentecostal. Right? We're just evangelicals. And then... Another one that was written many years ago by Jim Cimbala, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, is another great little book about, the, about who, what, what the Holy Spirit does. We also have on the, at the Connect table, when you walk in, there are these orange sheets. We've had them out. I had them out a few, um, few weeks ago, and there's, there's copies there, and it just talks about discovering your spiritual giftedness. If you don't know how you're gifted in the Spirit, if you don't know even what that even means to be spiritually gifted, I would encourage you to pick one of these up and go through. It's pretty self-explanatory and go through it. I would also encourage you, um, I don't have this in my notes, but I want to I encourage you, um, Don Vandergeesen, our, one of our elder advisors, um, he has taught classes on the Holy Spirit. And he would love to do that again. So if you have an interest in, man, I would love to know more about this part of the triune Godhead, I would get together with Don and see if we could get something going even this summer in one of our summer small groups for um, what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. But it's important for us to get, it, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like the Holy Spirit is the crazy uncle of the triune Godhead nobody wants to talk about. You know, we all have one of those in our family, right? It's that sort of that, that, you know, God the Father, yeah, I get that. He's a big dad, strong dad. You know, God the Son, yeah, I get that. He's that loving shepherd, whatever. That God, that Holy Spirit, whoa, wait a second. I don't know about that. We, we, don't, we don't talk about him a lot because we never know for sure what's going to come out of his mouth. So we just sort of, we only invite him out once every five years for family reunions and that's it. Right? That, that's not what we want the Holy Spirit to be like in our lives because what we're going to see today and next week and, and moving through these four weeks is without the power of the Spirit, we're nothing. We're just us. And, and, and I'm not that good. So today's message is called Go in the Promise of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to see is Jesus promises the Spirit or He's going to fulfill the promise of His Spirit. And today's question is really simple. What's the point of your salvation? What is the point of your salvation? Well, the first point of your salvation is to receive the promise or receiving the promises. That is taking the Word of God and letting the Spirit of God make it come to life. So open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. So Acts is literally the next page of where we were last week because John, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. And it says, the first account I composed, so remember, this is Luke. He's talking about when I wrote the Gospel of Luke, my, 
My, le- my first letter, when, sorry, when I first wrote the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that interesting that he uses the word began? What's implied in that? That Jesus is still teaching. He's saying, in, in the Gospel that, that records from Jesus' birth, he's the one that we read about it in, in the Gospel of John, that's the Christmas story. Right? He, he gives the most detailed account of Christ's physical birth, and he goes right on through to the, to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And he's saying, he's saying all of that is just the began of what Jesus came to teach. So it implies, look for something else. And that's what he writes the book of Acts about. 28 chapters of something else that Jesus is teaching. Until the day when he was taken up into heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen... To these he also presented himself alive, like he's always the living one, after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and I just talked about those a few minutes ago, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. I'm not going to spend time talking about the kingdom of God right now, but but Jesus, Jesus launched his public ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how he started. When his disciples ask him later on, hey, teach us to pray. Remember what he says? Pray this. If you you pray nothing else, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Just come, Lord. Just come. Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he, had, which, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Guys, I'm going to take a minute and explain this really quick, and, and hopefully not confuse you. The word baptized in the Greek is baptizo, it's, but, but in the Greek language there's all kinds of versions of the same word prefixes and suffixes added to a word that make it give it, give it sometimes just a slight change of meaning and other times a, a much broader change of meaning. This is one of those broader times. Because when, when right here, when Luke writes down, for John, that, that Jesus said, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, the first version of the word baptized there simply means to be immersed for religious activity. The second time he uses the word baptism there is in a version that means to have a significant religious experience. It's the same same thing when John the Baptist, the guy that we call John the Baptist, who, who is the forerunner of Christ, when he says in Mark 1, I baptized, I immersed for religious activity, you with water. But he, talking about Jesus before Jesus announced his public ministry, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will make it possible for you to have a significant religious event in your life. It's almost like they're talking about two separate things because they are. John was talking about a baptism of repentance, a public proclamation that I am a sinner and I need a Savior and I want to turn from my sin. That's a good thing. Jesus is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is when he indwells you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I take the time to talk about this because some of you have gotten wet and never gotten Jesus. 
Right? Some, of, some of you, whether it was because you were a kid and you, and you made a profession of faith, or a teenager and you made a profession of faith and you got baptized, and we've been blessed to see some, some, some amazing testimonies and baptisms here over the last few months, but some of you have made those professions of faith and, and then you've slipped away or backslid or walked away from your faith or however you want to call it, and now you have actually come to life in Christ. You have actually been baptized, you've heard the gospel, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you're thinking, you know what, I, I don't really need to get rebaptized. I would strongly encourage you to get rebaptized. I would strongly encourage you to say, you know what, I want to stand up and share that story. I want to stand up and say, yeah, you know, I went through that process, I got sprinkled as a baby, or I got, I got baptized as a child, or whatever it is, but I don't, I don't even think I was saved. But now I know I am. The word has come to light. You'll see. How, how do I? That's the question we're going to ask. What? How do I know if I'm His? Well, if you find, if you realize, you know what? Yeah, I'm not sure that when I really got baptized, like in in that public profession of my faith, that that I was really saved. Then I would strongly encourage you to get rebaptized. Why? Because it is at that point, as a child of God, being obedient to what Christ has called you to do, and that obedience will release some of the burden that you're carrying. Just the act of being obedient. You're saved by grace, not by the water and the horse trough. But being obedient is just, it's one of those releasing things. And I would really encourage you to pray about that. So let's pick it up in, Acts chapter, in, in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. He says, So when they, had, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are, that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? I meet with a group of men about the message every Tuesday morning, and one of them says something about, isn't it interesting that they're, asked, they're still asking the wrong questions? Right? So here they are. I mean, you picture this. They've walked with him. They've seen him. We had the scene last week where, you know, it's the Lord, and Peter jumps in the water, and he swims to the shore, and the whole thing, and the 153 fish, and they're walking along, and the you follow me, and, and they've seen this risen Lord, and they're still... Now he's there. This is the last time they're going to see him. And they're still asking the wrong questions. They're still almost as clueless as they ever were. So is, is, this, is now going to be the time that you're going to be the king and we get to be with you? And we get to rule with you? It says, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Guys, that word receive there is a really interesting word because almost all the time in Scripture it's in what's called the passive voice. Passive just means it happens to you. If I take, if I take a ball and I throw it at John and I hit him, he didn't do anything to get hit with that ball. Right? He is passively just getting hit. Here, Luke uses what's called the middle voice. And here's what that means. Not to, it's, and that's a... That's a form of a verb in, in the original languages that is not used very often, but here's why it's important. The middle voice means someone else initiated the action. John is still just sitting there. Doug threw the ball at him, but John gladly received it by catching it. That's what Luke is saying here. He's saying the, the gift of the receiving of the Holy Spirit is completely initiated by the Lord. But, but to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to gladly receive that gift. 
And there's a purpose for it. For you shall be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Guys, there it is. There's the point of the book of Acts. There's the point of the mission. This is the mission we are on. This is the ready, sent, go. It is to be his witnesses. It is the key verse for the whole book. It is ultimately why the question today, what is the point of your salvation? I could just say, here it is, to be his witnesses, amen, let's go. But you know me well enough to know I can't say just that little. So, what's the point of your salvation? Here's the point of your salvation in a sentence. The saved, that's you if you're his, receive power to become witnesses of the very grace that saved them. The saved receive the power of salvation in the Holy Spirit so that you will be witnesses. That is the, that is the in order to what? Of our faith. So that, you will, so that you will be witnesses of the very grace that saved them. Yeah, every year, we, the last few years, we've sat down as a family and we try to come up with kind of like a family mission statement. And, you know, it's, it's like the um, New Year's resolutions. And my personal New Year's resolution was to prayerfully, powerfully, patiently, which I don't always do well, as you know, point people to Jesus Christ. Like that was my new, what I want, if I, when I look back at the end of 2018, I want to say, has my life, has my year been about prayerfully, power, powerfully, and patiently pointing people to Jesus? That's what I want my year to be. I want to be infectious, like the flu. But what does receiving the power look like? Because he's saying, Jesus is saying, and you will receive power. So what does that receiving power look like? Guys, Jesus is, this is not some new teaching for them. If you've been here with us through the John series, you know that all the way back, starting in John 14, as, as he leaves the upper room after the, after the Last Supper, and he walks out, and he starts teaching them about the Holy Spirit. He tells them right up front, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And then in John 14, 26, he says, but my helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my, will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. Now remember that last part. He will bring to remembrance all that I said. Then in John 15, we get to the, he gets there in some, at some point in the walk up to, up to where he gets arrested on the Mount of Olives. He says, abide in me. Stay connected to me. He's, okay, spirit, stay connected to me. And then he's going to talk about, it's, and, then he, and then a little bit later in that whole talk, in, in John 16, he says, guys, it's actually to your advantage that I leave. You think the best thing is for me to stay here? I'm telling you the best thing is for me to go. Because if I don't go, then the Spirit cannot come. And he says this in John 16, 12, right after saying that. I have many more things to say to you. He said, I can stay here with you and talk to you guys forever. But you cannot bear them right now. It's his polite way of saying, but you will never get it. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears... He will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Guys, those two, those two phrases, the one in verse 14 of, and he, he, will, he, the Holy Spirit, will bring into remembrance everything I've told you, and then at some point, a few minutes later, he, he, Jesus reiterates the point by going, and he will take what is mine, my word, and he will let it make sense to you. 
That is where I get the point that we're in today, this idea of how do you read the Word supernaturally. And I've shared this before. As an unbeliever, I'm sitting in Old Testament history at Grand Canyon College, and I'm reading the Old Testament going, who would love this angry, vengeful God? And it's because the eyes, my eyes had been darkened by the God of this world. Who were keeping me from see, he was keeping me from seeing the glory that is the gospel. But once I got saved, once the Holy Spirit came into me, and he was able to reveal to me what is his, what is the word in flesh, those exact same words are words of grace to me. I look and I go, what a patient God. And how patient to me and to you. At some point in this journey, after the crucifixion, but before this scene that we're looking at in John chapter 20, he looks at his disciples in the upper room and he says, receive my spirit. And he breathes on them. That's not unto salvation. He's just giving them the whole, a little bit more of the Holy Spirit because right after that it says, and he opened their minds to understanding the scripture. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to give you a little bit more so you can understand a little bit more until the scene we're going to look at next week. How does the receive the Holy Spirit connect to the Word? Well, it's the, in, in James, the book of James, James says, receive the Word which is implanted in you for it is able to save your soul. Guys, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to our lives and brings it forth from our mouths to the extent that we have it in our hearts, to the extent that we've received the Word of God and had it put into our hearts, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and apply it to our lives. That's what the Spirit does. Guys, it is the will of God that the Spirit of God take the Word of God and make the people of God look like the Son of God. That's the message of the book of Acts. The will of God ultimately for us is to look like Jesus Christ because that's how we're his witnesses. But here's the problem. 57% of all Bible-believing, church-attending, people that profess faith in Jesus, that say Jesus is Lord, 57% of all Bible-believing, church-attending Christians do not believe the Holy Spirit is part of the triune Godhead. They think it's like the Force from Star Wars. They do not see Him as an equal part of the triune Godhead. They see God the Father, God the Son, and something lesser than that is God the Spirit. We cannot live the victorious Christian life, we cannot live powerfully as witnesses if we don't even believe the part of God that is that function in our lives is even God. So, how does, what does receiving the power of the Holy Spirit look like? Really quick, here are four things. First, it's the power to be saved. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to Christ. And, it's, and he is the one that seals us in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says it this way. He says, hearing the message of your salvation, your spiritual, the, the eyes of your heart were opened and you were sealed in Christ. That was the Holy Spirit that did all that. 
It is the power to witness. We're going to see that in the next couple weeks. Acts 2, 3, and 4. We're going to see the church go from 120 freaked out people to a worldwide mission in four chapters. That is the Spirit of God. A third thing that the Spirit of God does is it gives us the power to stand firm. And although we're not going to look at this in this study, in these four weeks in Acts, we are, I have talked about this before. You can turn, to, don't turn there now, pay attention, but in Acts chapter 7, there's that amazing scene where Stephen is one of the first deacons. He is proclaiming bold truth and quoting Old Testament Scripture to the Pharisees. They gnash their teeth and start to stone him to death. And as they are killing him, it says, and Stephen, this is Acts 7, 54, something like that. And Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Going, come on, brother. Come home. I'm bringing you home. How is that possible? And Stephen, as he's dying, he's getting stoned and he's dying and he's falling to the ground. You know what he says? Do anybody remember? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I'd be, like, I'd be like, get them. Get them, God. Just get them. You know? And he's, how is that possible? Only one way. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And the last one is the power to serve and bear fruit. To be His witnesses. How do we witness? By bearing His fruit. It's what, it's what this sheet talks about. Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all, and this, those are all listed in here. Ephesians chapter 4, talk about what, is the, what is specifically does the Holy Spirit do to help you bear fruit. But guys, you can, this is a verse we should all have committed to memory, even though I always forget one of the words according to the girls. But right in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is. You want to know what the Spirit looks like? What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's what it looks like. And honestly, I am not comfortable with this. Here's what it looks like. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I forget one? Yes. So, <laughs> I think it's the one, one I always forget. Goodness. Go figure. Yeah. Guys, but do you get that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm not comfortable with those because those don't sound very manly and tough to me. Smirking over here. I, I, I realize I'm not a very manly and tough person, but thanks for affirming that. But my point is that we want, we want the Holy... I mean, I, I get... Like, when I say power of the Holy Spirit, we think of, like, you know, like, speaking out and just watching thousands come to Christ. And I'm all for that. And we're going to see that next week. But you know what it often looks like? Patience. Goodness. Preferring your spouse, loving your neighbor, right? That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is being His witness. That's something I need to do more of. Look at your being community section. This is a little depressing. I'll tell you right up front. It says the church is receding in America. No religion slash no faith is the fastest growing category in our country when Barna and these other groups take polls. Why? Here's why. Maybe it's because less than 5% of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord bear witness of Him on a regular basis. That's one out of every 20 Christians in the church today. 
No wonder it takes an average of 40 people a year to see one person come to Jesus Christ. Imagine a company that ran with that type of, of inefficiency, we would call it the federal government, and the, the call to go is for every one of us. Let us testify together that by the promise of his word and the power of his spirit, we will witness better results in his church we call Cornerstone. Guys, we can do better than this. We can do better than 40. It takes 40 of us this next year to see one soul saved. No way. Not in the power of the Spirit. Right? Let's get about the business of his business, which is the mission to be his witnesses. Start at home. Start with your families. Work outward. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Daniel chapter 12, I love this little passage kind of hidden at the end of the book of Daniel. It says, those who have insight, those who can read the word supernaturally, those who have been, had their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Guys, that's our eternal glory when we are on mission for him. That's what Billy Graham is expecting. Can you imagine how bright Billy Graham's star is, if that, since that is true, since what Daniel wrote is true, that those who lead many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. Billy Graham preached the gospel to more people in the world than any other human being who's ever lived. So, what's the point of our salvation? First of all, it's to become alive. It's to receive the promise of having his word come into our life and make a supernatural change to our heart. The second is reflecting on eternity. Look at Acts 1, verse 9. And after having said these things, he, that's Jesus, so Jesus has been talking to him, this is it. This is our last time with him physically in the form of Jesus. It says, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That would have been pretty amazing. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while, they, while he was going... Behold, two men in white clothing, so their angels, stood beside them. And they said to the men, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come again in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Guys, the first part, so picture that, right? The ascension, and they're watching him go. I don't know if they're waving. I don't know if they're freaking out. I'd be freaking out. What Jesus told them, and back again, back in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Right? It's the whole in my father's house, there are many rooms, my mansion. We talked about that and what mansions really look like. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But if I go, what's he say? I'm going to come back and get you. So they should be thinking, okay, wait a minute. He said this was going to happen. What's next? And they don't. But part of it is because they were still focused on the present. How should eternity focus our perspective? You know, some of you have lost loved ones this year. You know, Connie Mattingly is here, and I, and I still miss Brent. And parents, and my own father-in-law is in the hospital right now having had a heart attack last night, and but guys, this ain't what it's about. Here today is not what it's about. T 
what, what gets decided here today matters a lot. How we live today will affect what we do in eternity. But guys, keep your finger in Acts and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is where our focus needs to be. And it's so hard to keep it here, which is why Paul tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, who are a very faithful church. They're like his favorite. If you read his letters, man, the Thessalonians, he loved them. Corinthians, not so much. Actually, he loved them too, which is the grace of God. But Starting in verse 13, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. He means died. So that you will not grieve as those do, as the, as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord, get this, so this, how does this connect to what we just saw? He leaves, the angels say he's coming back the same way. He's going to come out of the sky. Here it is, one of the places. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's where the word rapture comes from. We'll be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Now get that, this, this last little part of this chapter. Therefore, comfort one another with those words. He isn't just saying, man, this could be an awesome day. He's saying, guys, this is what we cling to as believers in Jesus Christ. When, when, when someone, when Brent Mattingly passes away suddenly, when you turn your phone on at 4.30 in the morning and you find out that your father-in-law has had a heart attack, what you cling to are promises like this. And you say, Father, save him that we might be together. Look at your engage in the call, and we're going to begin to bring it to a close and go into a time of prayer. It says, what's the point of your salvation? Firstly, to glorify God and enjoy him forever and ever. But a close second is to point others to eternal salvation in Christ. Guys, he doesn't save you just for your happiness. Because if this were not true, then the first best thing he could do for you, for your good and his glory, once you're his, is to take you home. Guys, if, if, if all he was interested in was your salvation, then the minute you receive the power of the Holy Spirit as a glad recipient of that gift, he should take you home. Because I still have moments where I don't bring him glory here. I will never have that moment up there. He should be like, all right, awesome. You're out of here. Let's go. He leaves us here for a reason. Why? If he's left us here, it is for a purpose. And it is to prayerfully and powerfully point people to Jesus. If you need help with the, the how-to, please talk with a leader or their wife. We'd love to help you grow in grace and truth by being engaged in his call to go and be his witnesses. Guys, if you're in a place in your walk where you're struggling, like you're just kind of stagnant, 
maybe you've been a believer for a while and you're like, you know, I, I, I kind of hear what Doug's saying and, and, but, but I just, I'm not living this exciting Christian life. I'm, it's just, for me, it's just sort of this thing I tag on to the rest of my life. I would encourage you to get busy about being on the mission. It, you, start, you start engaging. I mean, we, start, we, all, we all laugh about, you know, Jeff Gracious and how he's odd. And we, and we I love you, Jeff. And we, and we all talk about Jeff Dawkins and how he's odder. And, but guys, why, why are they the way they are? Because what are they doing all the time? Telling people about Jesus. They're on fire. And maybe it'll make us all a little odd. That's okay. Guys, so we're going to look at this last scene, and we're going to use it to kind of go into our time of prayer, because this is where they go. So get the picture. They... They're, this is the last time they're going to see the, the, the physical body of Jesus. He ascends to heaven. These angels say he's going to come again. Hang on. He's like, they're like, hang on. Now watch what they do. For the first time since things started falling apart in the garden, when Jesus got arrested, you can almost get a glimpse like they're getting it. So look at verse 12. As we look at this idea of responding together in prayer and unity. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simeon the zealot and Judas the son of James. So 11, the 11 disciples are together. We find out in verse, four, f- verse, 11, or verse 15, it's actually 120 people. These, but get this, here's the important part. These all, with one mind, they're collectively together now, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So his brothers have now bought in too, and they're part of that 120. Guys, they get this right. This is the unity Jesus prayed for in John 17. I and them and you and me, that they might be perfected in unity, that the world might know that you sent me and that you loved them like you love me. Right? They're finally getting it. But what are they doing? Are they running out just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? No, what are they doing? They're praying. They're praying very intentionally, very purposefully, very powerfully. And next week we're going to see what the results of that prayer are. But guys, I am so convicted of this. For us to be a power-filled church, we have to be a praying people. We have to get better at prayer, for lack of a better term. We have to make prayer our first flinch and not our afterthought when we get that text when you turn your phone on in the morning. Right, we, we have several things that go on here now that just in the last year or so God has graciously brought to us stuff like pre-service prayer at 9 a.m. I, I, would, I would encourage you, at 9 a, our service doesn't start at 9.30, it starts at 9. We gather together to pray for the service and for the church all over the world at 9 a.m. Come join us. We have things like elder prayer. If you are sick or you're hurting, we just prayed for Morgan Johnson last week and we anointed him with oil as elders and we laid hands on him and we prayed for him and God healed the hole in his retina. I, now, is he still, we still need to be praying. It's not, he's not all 100% better, but the doctor said there was a hole there. There's not a hole there anymore. How do you answer that? Prayer moves God. We have things like we're going to do right now. Prayer Sundays. We have prayer nights. 
We have an email prayer chain that many of you got, even about my father-in-law this morning. But here's perhaps the most powerful thing I've seen happen in our church in the last year. It's it's really starting to change our culture. Asking this question, how can I pray for you right now? I ask that of the waiter. When we sit down and we're having dinner at a restaurant, how can we pray for you? Do it here. How can I pray for you right now? Do it on the phone. Let me pray for you right now. It is ch- that, that simple phrase is changing our culture. So as the lights go down and the music team gets ready to lead us in, a, in music and Brian comes up to lead us through our prayer Sunday, I'm going to ask you that question. How can I pray for you right now? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power that is ours when we openly receive the Holy Spirit. I thank you that we can be glad recipients of your grace. I pray right now for those that that right now need prayer for salvation. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of your Spirit that you would compel the forces of darkness from this place, that those eyes that have been blind to the glory that is the gospel of Jesus Christ would by your Spirit's power be enlightened. And that you would move on their hearts to repent and receive the gift. Father, I pray for those that I know there are some in this room, I saw it in their faces when we were talking about baptism, that, that, that are struggling to be obedient to that for whatever reason, embarrassment or fear of public speaking or, Father, I pray that as, today and as we look at the boldness that comes from your Spirit in them, that they would boldly say, I want to be baptized. That they would be released from that bondage. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with besetting sins and discouragement. I pray that you would revive us again. Lord, I thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. Amen.